Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the perspicacious Matt. Hello there. No idea if that's a compliment or <laughs> you can look a subtle later. dig. <laughs> so, here we are. We're talking about The Idiot's Lantern today. Yep. Episode 7 of Series 2 mm-hmm. from the 27th of May, 2006. So we're over the halfway point in Series 2. Yep. I think I've only just got a slight indication of where this series is going. Yeah. Overall, it's fair to say I don't think you've been enjoying it as much as Series 1. And you didn't enjoy Series 1 a no. great deal. So. I, think, I don't know though, because I think probably at this point in Series 1, I would have been in about the same position yeah the back half of series one is stronger than the uh yeah i think once we'd hit the empty child yeah i was enjoying yeah series one and i think the issue i've got with series two is once we hit girl in the fireplace which i really enjoyed we haven't hit that high again yeah not yet um i think that's i think so far doctor who's just been too peak and trough for me it's that been, could be a problem. It's been really inconsistent. Every yeah. time I lose faith, there's a really good episode. <laughs> and then it's immediately followed by absolute guff. Yeah. I think in some ways that, that is the nature of the beast. Because it, it's, you know, as I've said before on this show, it's a, it's a program that can go anywhere, mm. tell any kind of story. And why does it choose to just tell bad ones? <laughs> the thing is, spending as much time as I have in Doctor Who fan circles, pretty much every single episode will have its defenders. Hmm. What even ones that the majority of people think have no redeeming qualities whatsoever, there'll be someone out there within the fandom willing to fight the corner for it. So imagine if Boomtown was your favourite episode. I know some people that genuinely rank that as one of their favourites of series one. Idiots. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily disagree <laughs> with you there. But, um, but anyway, I wonder if we'll have another divisive one on, on our hands today. So, um, I mean, Mark Gatiss's first yeah. contribution, The Unquiet Dead, we definitely had a split opinion on. Yeah. So your classic scale, where are you ranking... The Idiot's Lantern. Part of me really wants to say bad episode. Just to spite me? No, but it, it's either bad episode or no emotional attachment, I would say. I, I just find this a bit of a nothing. We're going to be in for another rough one, aren't we? <laughs> really? Is this one of your favourites? I really like this one, yeah. Really? I just Yeah. It, it, maybe it's something about Mark Gatiss' approach to Doctor Who that's not clicking for you. Yeah, like, I don't get it, because I like everything else he's done. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, He is, I think I said this um, when we were discussing Unquiet Dead, he is one of the more, not controversial, but more divisive writers that Mm. that regularly contribute to the series. Some people will say, oh, he's hit and miss. A lot of people will say he's dreadful. Like, people just flat out dismiss pretty much everything he's contributed. I, more often than not, am quite charmed by his episodes. They work for me. And I don't know whether that's just because his interests kind of overlap with mine in a lot of ways. Um, in that I'm kind of interested in a lot of old media. And in this one, obviously, we're, a lot of this is about the the early history of television and things like that. So that immediately 
that intrigues me. The the coronation setting, mm. I think, is an interesting one. I I don't know. We'll get I we'll think, get into, we'll get into more specifics. Is I think every character introduced in this episode is dislikable. Even the ones that were supposed to rally the cause and like I'm just I'm just not yeah bothered by you know you're not you're not you're not charmed by little Tommy. No, not really. Well, we shall have to we'll, wait. And I'll, see, I'll expand on that point. Yeah, I think we, there's. We I think there's going to be a lot to dig into here, even if uh, yeah. you were left wanting, shall we say? So, right. so we begin on a rainy street. Uh huh. A at a weird angle, I think, because I I feel like I should mention already. Um, Euros Lin, the same director who did uh, Going on the Fireplace, and I absolutely praised his direction. I think it was was immaculate in that episode. I don't know what he's playing at <laughs> in this one, but it is Dutch angles everywhere. Did you yeah. notice that as you were watching it? Yeah. Everything quite... is tilted. Yeah. Um, there's not a straight ahead shot at any point. And I like a Dutch angle, don't get me wrong, but it's used... It, it, to, to use it well, you use it to emphasise when something jarring is happening or something mm-hmm. surreal. But this is just like or just some people standing outside a street. It's at a wonky <laughs> angle. Yeah. Just, just use a tripod, man. <laughs> so on this rainy street, yes, we have a chap, Mister Magpie, who's working in his shop. Yeah, played by. He's quite a recognisable character actor um, what's his name uh, Ron Cook I think um, but I, I, he's one of those actors that I don't know what I've seen him in necessarily but I know I've definitely seen him in, in other stuff mm-hmm. I, I really like his performance in this episode uh, that's one of the things that I think uh, elevates it because I, I, I think he's very believable as this sort of troubled man being sort of preyed upon because at this point we find out he's two hundred pounds overdrawn. Yes, yeah. So, so he's in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, to begin with, his his Magpie Electricals is not flourishing mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. And we then cut to another family. Yeah. And the son, the aforementioned Tommy. Yeah. Is trying to convince his dad, Mister Connolly, to buy a television for the coronation. So that. Dates the episode, 1953. Yes, yeah, we've got a pretty much exact point in time now mm-hmm. that we can work from. And I, I don't know how well known this is outside of Britain, but certainly, even though we, we grew up long after the coronation, we would hear stories from uh, the older generations of how everyone would gather around perhaps the one TV in the street mm-hmm. to watch the coronation. It was that big of a, a momentous thing. and Because it, it just happened to happen... At around the time that people were just starting to adopt television yeah. in Britain. Do you think it will be similar scenes, the next coronation? I doubt it. I, I'll i be honest, I have never watched any royal event on TV mm. live. I, I have no interest in it. We'll get a day off work, if nothing else. Uh, well, that would be nice. I yeah. mean, if and if we do, bug it if I'm going to spend it sat at home yeah. watching people ponting uh, about well, in London. You know. In the news at the minute, Prince Philip's doing his best to uh, off himself. So. <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was I was talking. This is completely unrelated. I was talking to my partner the other day about Prince Philip when he was in the news, and obviously he has a reputation for saying 
uh, inappropriate things, shall we Call say. Call a spade a spade. Yeah. Incredibly racist things. Yeah. And I and I and they said on the radio his age. I think it was like eighty seven, something like I think that. So, yeah. um, and we recently had the passing of Stan Lee at the yeah. age of eighty four, going on eighty five. Mm-hmm. Same generation. Yeah. Yet you look at Stan Lee, the man created Black Panther. Mm. Yeah. He, you read you read his, his old Stan soapboxes. He is one of the original SJWs. Yeah, but um, I, I think that obviously stems because his family were Jewish refugees, I yeah, believe. Yeah. But I, uh, the, the point I was making is really the fact that sometimes when you get incredibly racist old people, people say, oh, he's from a different generation. It was a different yeah. time. Not an excuse. Yeah. It's just People not of the an same excuse. generation have changed the world in better ways. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've already done our, our shout out RIP to, to, to Stan, Stan Lee, Lee. but um, I was just reminded again because I, I was just uh, flipping through some of the comics you've got sat on the table just next to us mm-hmm. and I can see that they've got like black banners. Uh, yeah, the, and uh, uh, DC comics yeah. inside each of theirs had a special page and it said from the distinguished competition because whenever uh, Stan Lee was asked what DC stood for, yeah. he always said it was the distinguished competition. That's, that's delightful. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the world's a bit worse off for losing Stanley. Absolutely, and it's certainly a world worse off for having Prince Philip in. <laughs> Indeed. So, should we get back on track? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, the house of the first man, Mister Magpie, is hit by lightning, and the television that he previously switched off, turns back on. Yes. And begins to speak to him. Yes, because we'd already seen this sort of um, continuity announcer. Yes. Back in the days when continuity announcers were, were actually pictured on the screen. They didn't have, like, interstitial titles. Yeah. Um, and played by Maureen Lipman. Yes. Who are you are familiar with? In as much as this episode. Right. You may jog my memory. Well, I don't know if it's anything that we would personally have seen, but she was a very well-known um, actress through the 70s and 80s into the 90s, um, mm-hmm. best known for doing like sitcoms and, and uh, uh, comedic roles. Yeah, um, she, was, she was in... I've just pulled her up here. Yeah. So she was in Coronation Street for yeah. a spell. Um, oh, she was Mumsy in The Crystal Mace. Oh, there you go. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It must be the modern reboot, 2016, but if you're going to have that on your CV. That's pretty good going, isn't it? Yeah, no, so, and and, uh, again, I think a really good performance. She's doing a very, very specific thing, Um, but she she apes the sort of old continuity announcer received pronunciation thing perfectly. Yes. Like, absolutely perfectly. And it's it's these kind of little period details and flourishes that, again, I think elevate this episode. So as she's speaking to Mr. Magpie, just before the titles, she shoots lightning. Yeah. And it sort of absorbs into his face. Yeah. Is that the best way of putting it? Yeah. And it looks, at that point, you reckon Mr. Magpie is a goner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we then have the titles and we cut to the Doctor and Rose. Who are on their way to see Elvis Presley. Of course they're not, though. I mean, obviously they're not. We're... <laughs> well, to go back to last episode, yeah. it says that in this episode they're aiming for New York. Yeah. So in my notes I've written, double or nothing, they will be in London. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will bet you £2 million pounds yeah. that they land in London. Do you think 
Do you, do you want? Uh, uh, no, we can't make it a bet because I already know the answer, and that's not fair. Go on. But do you reckon within Tenant's <laughs> career, uh, uh, they will have an episode set on Earth, not in the UK? Like obviously they'll go to alien planets and things like that. I, I'm going to the... say if they do, it will be a historical episode, and uh-huh. it will be like ancient Rome, and it'll just be on a soundstage. Right. I don't think there'll be an on-location episode. Right. And I might even go as big as to say that will not happen, even right up to the Jodie Whittaker episodes. <laughs> you reckon it'll still be all the stages in Cardiff? In ten years, we'll still be laughing about, oh, we're in London. Oh no, we're in Cardiff. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. So yeah, they land in London. Yeah. And we get about three minutes of them reciting the worst... 1950s dialect yeah and they seem to find it a lot funnier than i did again i think this is just playing into the kind of relationship they have at this point they're so familiar with each other it's all in jokes and i think they're like they're getting to the point they're like you know when you're going you're down the pub with a couple that they're really into each other they obviously you know Mm. they're having a great time but they're kind of having a great time regardless of what anyone else is doing yeah. and you're just kind of not invited to their own little bubble. Mm. That's the kind of vibe I get off them in these kinds of moments where they're just kind of palling around. We might as well it, not be there. They're sort of in the honeymoon phase of yeah. their relationship, which mm. is, I don't really know because they've been together, let's say a, a year. At least a year. I would have yeah. thought at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, obviously they've realized, they realize that they're not in New York. Yes. On account of all of the uh, Union flags everywhere. Yes. And the family from earlier now have a TV. Yes. But as a result of that, something seems to have happened to the yeah. Nana yeah. character of this family. Yeah, they're sat there, they're enjoying a bit of Muffin the Mule. Yeah. Um, were, you, were you familiar with Muffin the Mule? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, one of the... Uh, uh, most beloved uh, television characters from the 1950s. Just a puppet mule. I, I think I'm right out on a saying, piano. when I went to the British Television and Cinema yeah. Museum, which is in Bradford, yes. they have the Muffin the Mule. Yes. Yeah. I've been there as well. It was a few, a few years ago. Great museum. Worth a visit. In my time that I spent in Australia, yeah. I went to the Australian equivalent. Far superior. Yeah. Probably... And I know this is a bold claim that doesn't really mean anything. Uh-huh. Probably the best museum I've visited. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I went a few times where they had different exhibitions. So one was costumes from films, uh-huh. which is as interesting as looking at costumes can be. Yeah. They had the history of video games, which uh-huh. was exceptional. Yeah. And history of music videos, which again was brilliant. Yeah, that sounds quite interesting. The, what I will say in the defence of uh, the Bradford Museum was that, uh, amongst other things, they had um, some old uh, BBC studio cameras, and it almost made me openly weep with joy to see one in real life because they're just like that. That might have shot an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, it's exactly you know these beautiful lumbering old beasts of things. Um, mm. They are, um, but anyway, yeah. When- so. 
that felt magical not, to not see to go that down life. like the television museum rabbit hole. Uh-huh. Last summer, myself and my partner visited the National Football Museum in Manchester. Yeah. And one of their exhibitions is you can host Match of the Day. <laughs> so you have an auto queue. Yes. Alongside a screen with the football on. Uh-huh. And it's near impossible. Yeah. Because you have the camera you're looking at yeah. whilst you're looking at two different screens yeah. at the same time. It's it's a real skill. And likewise, have you ever had a go on, like, because I know the various museums have done it, the, the setup that weather reporters yes. use, where mm. it's so disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we are getting very <laughs> sidetracked yeah. this episode, aren't we? Right. <laughs> so, at the same time that this, the television seems to have had an impact on the nana from the family, Yeah. a man is pulled from a house on the same street yeah, under a sheet and bundled into a car. Uh-huh. And Tommy, who's the young boy from the family that are continually yeah, appearing. Yeah, he's what, maybe 14, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says it's happening a lot and they're turning into monsters. Mm. So the doctor chases the car that the guy's been bundled into on his moped. But the car has a car phone? I don't think it does it. Yeah, they... Because the guy signals for Operation Market Stall from within the car. Does Was it not just like a walkie-talkie? I'm not sure. It um, must be. Cause they didn't have car phones in the 1950s. I, see, I thought, is it some sort of weird Doctor Who... Anachronism. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think... It that, may have been a radio, but it looked I suspiciously... Think, I think it must have been like a, a radio system. Right. I don't think they would make those kinds of period. But if you look at the amount of care that's taken with all the other period details in this episode, mm. um, I, I'd be very surprised if they let a clunk like that through. Mm. So I think it must be like a radio system. So Operation Market Stall is basically two large gates open. There's a couple of chaps sweeping the streets. Uh-huh. And they move out the way. This car can pass through. The gates close. They begin sweeping the streets again as if nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Which fools the Doctor this time. Yes. Okay. We go <coughs> back to Mr. Magpie. Yes. And he's built a contraption for the lady that was appearing on TV that mm-hmm. spoke to him earlier. So, for all the television seems to be impacting on people, turning them into monsters, not the case here. No, he's just being uh, manipulated. Like, not to the po- He's not a zombie. He has some sense of self, but he seems sort of he, he's sort of run down and ragged, and seems like he's just in servitude. Yes, essentially yeah. to yeah. to this being. So, Tommy, the young boy, sneaks upstairs in his house to go see his gran because yeah. he knows she's been harmed in some way. Yeah, and she's he sorry is stopped by his father. So. Shall yeah. we take a second to talk about Tommy's father? Yeah, I think we should. Perhaps the nastiest piece of work we have ever seen uh, in the show to date. Yeah. So it's the character like, Eddie Connolly. Yeah. Nastier than the Dalek in yeah. Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just... Perhaps, yeah, nastier than the Emperor Dalek even in some ways. He's obviously got a big chip on his shoulder. Yeah. I mean, he mentions yeah. later on that he served in the war. Yeah. And he perhaps sees himself as, I don't want to say a hero, but 
worthy of praise yeah. and maybe a bit more respect than he's receiving. He, to me, is basically an analogue for all of the, the the negatives of Britishness. Yes. Yeah. He is... He is um, he, he wants to project this stiff upper lip, authoritarian, patriarchal kind of thing. That's all on the surface, but inside he is a snivelling, cowardly man. Yes, yes. Um, because his aggression, as it were, is projected mainly onto Tommy and his wife. Yes. And as soon as Rose, the Doctor, anybody yeah. stands up to him confidently... He backs down. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like him as a character. Not just because we shouldn't like him. Uh-huh. But in a heart back to last episode, he, he just shouts a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that seems to be his main character trait. Is um, that in that we said that last time yeah. the main villain spoke in a booming villainous voice. Uh-huh. This chap just shouts. Yeah. And whereas I didn't blame Roger Lloyd Pack as Lumic because I felt it was it was more of a flaw in the writing, I would say this is maybe more of a flaw in the performance. I think there is subtlety subtlety in the writing that maybe isn't being brought to the fore because we're getting this slightly one note performance. Yeah, but so, I don't think he's as bad as as Lumic is in terms of an underwhelming antagonist character. I still think because of what what to me what what he represents and what they do with him throughout this episode, I think it's an interesting story and I'm willing to forgive what is perhaps a slightly lazy one-note performance. Because I've just got him up yeah. on Wikipedia here and he's in quite a few prominent television roles right. in Britain. Okay. So he was in EastEnders right, uh, playing Derek Branning. He's been in Casualty. Right. Obviously Doctor Who, My yeah. Family... So he's obviously getting work as an actor. Yeah, and quite um, a few films as well. Yeah, I I don't know. I Maybe it's just me having a soft spot for Mark Gatiss that I'm not willing to admit that he's not done a great job writing this character. But I don't know. For whatever reason, I would say, it, by and large, it works for me as a story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the character does what he needs to do within the context of that story. But... I'm not going to fight you too much on it if he just didn't work for you then that's yeah. you know but yeah right. not so, a nice man though no 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 yeah. and reading between the lines not I mean we never see him physically violent but he seems to be quite an abusive patriarch of yes. his family yeah definitely so Tommy and his father are interrupted by Rose and the Doctor yeah they knock on the door let themselves in using the psychic paper I think did they pose as... Just like a sort of royal inspector, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're checking yeah. <laughs> that the house is fit for purpose yeah. to hold a party. Yes, and, and and he is a small-minded enough man that just dropping the whole queen and country angle is enough to give yeah. him a free pass. Yeah. So they basically bully him for a little bit so that they can speak to Tommy and yes. Tommy's mother. They, they, they certainly wind him up. Yeah, they um, ask him why he has bunting... But it's not hung up. Yeah. And is it at this point where they bully him for hanging the Union flag? Uh, a little bit later. Uh, so basically the, um, the the Doctor kind of talks him around in circles. When, because 
you know, saying, why is the bunting not hung up? And and he immediately blames his wife. Uh, and the doctor won't have that and, and, and basically says, uh, well, why can't you do it? You've got hands. Um, to which he responds, oh, it's woman's work. And he makes the argument, do you expect the queen to do the housework? Yeah. Um, so... But yeah, so that basically talks him round to the point that he's suddenly, you know, hanging up the bunting. So any time Eddie Connolly wishes to make his point, he just simply shouts, I am speaking. Yes. We've seen him do that to Tommy. We've seen him do that to his wife. Yeah. At this point, the doctor just replies by shouting, I'm not listening. Yeah. So this is again where we see him turn from bully to coward and he backs down. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the Doctor demands to know what's going on, and they all head upstairs to go see Nana. Yeah. And this is the first time I think we see the impact of television on it somebody. Is. yes. And yeah. they're left with no face. Yeah. It's sort of just a blank skin. Yeah. There's yeah. no, not even facial features. No, just, it, it just, it's, yeah, it's quite a uh, surreal, disturbing image, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, uh. Yeah, and at this point, the police show up and just beat up the doctor. <laughs> you know, we've seen him fight the Sycorax. We've seen him take out aliens before. Yeah, but he just gets beaten up by two police. To officers. be fair, he's not generally a physical fighter. And even no, no, with no. the Sycorax, he it was a fencing duel. He wasn't, and he won he was a tangerine. <laughs> yeah, and his wits yeah. rather than violence. Exactly. You look at. You look at David Tennant, he's not a brawler, is he? No. He's no, a no, no. skinny pencil of a man. Right. So, the Doctor and Rose decide they're going to go after the police. Yeah. But Rose stops in her tracks when she sees the TV sort of glowing with this yeah. lightning. It's like, a, it's like a red uh, crackling yeah, yeah. electricity. Yeah, so whenever we saw Mr Magpie's house hit by lightning, it obviously yeah. wasn't lightning as we yeah. know it it's discolored yeah what do we know about the color red in doctor who as well yeah it's, all, <laughs> it's always something bad yeah so rose stops there to see what's going on with the tv yeah and it's at this point that the doctor notices these disguised gates that had fooled him earlier on yeah okay so he breaks into this like compound it it's like an abandoned warehouse type scene and he finds a cage containing multiple people without their faces. Yeah. And they're just sort of standing there, motionless, effectively. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not menacing in a direct way. No. They, they obviously pose him no threat, but they're menacing in the sort of tranquility. Yeah, they're just sort of like, yeah. It's like they've just been wiped. Yes, yeah. Effectively, yeah. At this point, an ominous man arrives and tells the doctor to stay where he is and rose realizes that all the televisions that are causing these problems have been purchased from mr magpie yeah so she goes to the television shop to see what's happening mr magpie i think it's it's interesting that we're seeing rose basically just doctoring on her own at this point yeah yeah you know, she's not overly concerned about the fact that the doctor's following another lead and she's just you know off doing her own business mm-hmm so, Mr. Magpie orders her to leave, and Rose, at this point, sees the face of 
Maureen Lippman yep. appearing on the television. Yes. And it just simply starts saying the word hungry. Yeah. Over and over. Yeah. In A Heart Back to The Empty Child, where we had this, are you my mummy? We sort of have this innocent plea. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It's it's kind of like it's 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 disarming because it's like it's like this creature is almost animalistic. Yes. And yet yeah. it's presenting in the form of, you know, authority and calm and Britishness and normality. You know, this this stuffy BBC continuity announcer, but it's just like I think that that just adds to the creepiness of yeah. it. Um, is this the point at which it is identified as the wire? Yes, it's the name yeah. of, of, of so this entity. It begins a dialogue yeah. with Rose, yeah. introduces itself as the wire. Yes, and then, as we saw in the opening scene with Mister Magpie, it shoots lightning yeah. at Rose's face. Yes, and we can probably guess what will happen next at this point. Yeah, it turns out that the people that have apprehended the Doctor are the police. Now, at first, I thought it could be people posing as the police, because mm-hmm. obviously the police aren't really known for breaking into people's houses and you know, kidnapping people. But it turns no. out that is what they're That's doing. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. And so, the reason they're doing it is basically because they don't want anything to spoil uh, Liz's big day. Yeah. <laughs> so, with the coronation, I think the next day... Yeah. They're basically rounding them up so there's not widespread panic. If the yeah. eyes of the world are going to be on London, they want yeah. it to be this positive yeah. experience, not faceless zombies, effectively. Yeah. So, the police then bring the next faceless person into yeah. the room, and the doctor realises it's Rose. This is where we get David Tennant at his best. Yeah, He effectively says, the case is now simple. No power on earth can stop him. Yeah, he's he he's really, really mad. He is firing on all cylinders at that point and doesn't really let up for the rest of the episode, I think. He's yeah. got that same kind of like almost manic energy. Yes. To him. Yeah, that's um, the best way to describe it, I would yeah. say. Yeah. So we get a cold cut from there to the next day where Tommy's family are having their coronation party. Yep. And Tommy just mugs his dad off. He's no wonder his dad's always <laughs> angry. Because someone says, oh, where's Nana? And Tommy's like, yeah, Dad, where's Nana? <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, he's got a point. He's, I, I think um, he's obviously very disturbed by what's going on and not happy about the fact that his dad's just trying to cover it up. And it's, again, it's. I think it's an interesting echo that you've got the dad keeping her locked away in the house in... And the actual, the other authority figures in this, the police are doing exactly the same thing, just on a different yeah. scale. But it's it's all about keep, you know, shutting away what we don't want to think about, stiff up a lip, put on a good show, you know, hurrah, God save the queen. That's that's kind of the, I think the sort of the thematic underpinning of this episode in a lot of ways. And I think that's what what I like about it. it's a commentary on Britishness. Yes. It's you know, and maybe maybe gently poking at us and, and saying, maybe there are other ways to handle problems than just sweeping them under the carpet. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the doctor arrives at the party to question Tommy again. Yeah. But the dad interrupts, and Tommy accuses his dad of informing the police of other people 
transforming into yeah. these faceless creatures. Yeah. So is he doing that to protect the Nana? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because yeah. um, is he diverting attention away from his possibly, house? Or yeah. is he just a snitch? It's hard to say, isn't it, what mm. his motivation is. Um, yeah, because he doesn't contest it. He no, he is the one that has been doing, doing it. Um, but obviously he's not turned in because maybe he doesn't want to feel like he's personally implicated in anything. Yeah. Where if they found out that he was also harbouring one of these faceless uh, creatures. Anyway. So yeah. Tommy goes with the doctor and the policeman and they break into... Mr. Magpie's shop, and they find the device he's been making, and it's, it reminded me a lot of the Pip-Boy from uh, Fallout. Right. It's just like a, it's almost a portable television. It is. Well, that's exactly what the, uh, the inspector, who at this point, basically is only there to comment on, on fascinating innovations in TV (laughs) technology. And he says, a portable TV? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. I mean, that's what it is. It's, and I, I think it's, really really good production design on that object because it looks like something bit like it looks like technology beyond the yeah. period in which it's made but the the materials are very much of that era because i think the doctor comments it's made of bakelite yeah he does he? he licks it in much, the same, right. in much the same way that he licked that door <laughs> in uh tooth and glory obviously this doctor has a particularly acute sense of taste yeah. So, so I think it's just as they sort of acknowledge what this piece of equipment is, all the other televisions in the shop switch on, and where they've displayed the face of the wire, they're now displaying individual faces of people who'd been like taken by the wire. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying you can see Rose's face shouting doctor help yes, me yeah i don't know whether there's sound accompanying in no that, they're, they're you all, can they're lip all read muted. It yes enough. yeah and i re- again i really like the uh the directorial choice there in the way that they're kind of it's just their face the rest of it is black and it's almost it reminds me of like 1950s experimental theater and film it's it, it has that kind of feel to me like it could have come from a beckett or a pin to play or something mm. like that um so yeah, I I've always really liked that as an image, and uh, yeah, yeah. So Magpie appears, as does the wire, and although it's only a very very small thing, it's quite throwing. I feel where the televisions turn to colour. Yes, because we're so used to that. Yeah, and it's a little bit like in Girl in the Fireplace, where Madame de Pompadour steps onto the spaceship, and it's. Yeah. Just a small thing, but because we haven't seen it in the episode, yeah. it becomes a big thing. Yes, so, yeah, so it's just some jarring shift. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose if you've never seen colour television before, yeah. it would... Yeah, you would, you would react as the uh, inspector does and say, Blimey, colour television! <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, think, <laughs> I, can't, I think I maybe saw it on YouTube or some clip show where there's footage from the old days where colour TV was just being introduced. Yeah. I think it's match of the day where it says, for those of you watching in black and white, Chelsea are in blue. And <laughs> and I think there's footage of where the first time the World Snooker Championships yeah. were held, it yeah. was because it could show off colour TV. Exactly. It, it had was, never been televised because... There's no point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no yeah. Point. if all the balls look the same. Yeah. 
Right. And I think that's part of why it ended up being so popular in like the 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 seventies when color TV at that point, because it wasn't really until the seventies that it was widely adopted, even though the technology was available in the sixties. Yes. Yeah. The seventies when Britain really embraced color TV, and that was kind of the seventies, early eighties was kind of snooker's heyday. Yeah. Yeah. So I I can remember our first television in our house growing up. I think it was a rented TV. Was it? Yeah, that would have been certainly late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. And it had like a faux wood casing. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it it probably couldn't sit on this table that we sit around when we record. No. It was ginormous. Yeah. We had we had quite a small TV, but. I mean, in terms of screen, but my God, it took up a lot of room. Mm. Like, because it, it, the, the depth of those old yeah. boxes. And I, I can remember, yeah. we again, growing up, we had a black and white television. I think it was a wedding present to, yeah. for my parents. And on the front, you turned a dial to tune it uh-huh. and then pushed in like this really impossible to push in button that would save that tuning as a channel. You know what? You've, I, you've, and how you described it, I distinctly remember my parents had one of those yeah. that they would they had in the bedroom for a while. They got rid of it in the end. Yeah. So but, it, <laughs> it didn't simply have channel one, two, three, four, yeah. as we had in Britain at the time. Yeah. You had to tune, tune it, it like and a radio. save it as channel one. Yeah. So technically you could have channel four yeah. as channel one. Yeah. Have you? It's crazy to think how far that technology has yeah. come in just our lifetime. When I think, because obviously I, I've been thinking a lot about these kinds of things, having you know recently spawned yeah. uh, a child of my own, and I just think he will never know a world where he can't watch whatever he wants whenever he wants, mm. unless there is some like apocalyptic, like you know, the internet just blinks out overnight. But yeah, he will. He will be. He's being born into a world that already has. You know, streaming services, YouTube, just everything mm. available, um, either legally or otherwise. Yeah. Um, hint, hint, BBC. There is still <laughs> no legal way to, to stream classic Doctor Who. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I, I was in conversation with my older brother. He's got a son who's five. Yeah. And he was showing him YouTube videos of computer games we played as children. Yeah. And they're just a mind fuck. <laughs> You know, I think he was showing him, I don't know if you know the game, Chucky Egg. Yeah, I know uh, it. Yeah, and it's just a game where you run away from ducks yeah. and collect eggs. It's dreadful. It's almost impossible to play. But, and graphically. Yeah. It, and then, you know, in the car this morning, we were talking about Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yeah. That I can play on a device that's got you, the screen in it, yes, in HD. You can, you can charge it up, stick it in your bag, take it on the bus with you if you want yeah. to. And it is extraordinary. You know, um, we, we we record in my attic room, yeah. and it's where my Xbox is. And even the television I have up here is outdated. Yeah. You know, I think that television, at the most, will be five to ten years old. And it's outdated. Yeah. I mean, it does the job, it works, it's flat screen, it's not a colossal hulking 1980s TV. You can see, you look at it, it's got quite a chunky frame around it, and stuff like that, so that does date it. Yeah. It's bizarre. And if you think about, (laughs) we've just said the device they build is a portable television. Yeah. 
I can remember the portable television I had at uni, and it was anything but portable. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was I remember huge. those huge. Yeah, it has an enormous aerial extended, yeah. and even then, it would be the reception would be fuzzy. And yeah, I never had one, but I but I knew like a kid at school that did, and would bring it into school and inevitably get confiscated. Yeah. Um, oh, it's crazy. Days. <laughs> the good old days. Anyway, so right. where are we? At this point, the wire gives us its backstory. Oh yeah, that it yeah. was due to be executed by its own people but fled in a sort of non-corporeal form. Uh-huh. And that's what this lightning yeah. that we've had through the episode seems to be. It's yeah. the wire moving from place to place. He likes his non-corporeal villains, does Mark Gatiss, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. Because... The Gelf were... They're not entirely dissimilar. Yeah. Yeah. We find out that the plan was that the wire was going to use the coronation... Because it would be all the eyes of Britain on yes. television yeah. to absorb yeah. those people. Feed enough to, to gain a corporeal yes. form. Yeah. So what does what does what does um what does she refer to it as? Is it not reconstitution? But some kind of word beginning with R, doesn't it? I can't remember. Ah. Oh. Never mind, that's gonna bug me. Never mind. So at this point the wire then zaps everyone in the room, tries to steal their faces. Yeah. Of course, we know there's never any real peril in any of these cliffhangers. Yeah. So the doctor just uses his sonic screwdriver. <laughs> the wire is absorbed into this portable device. Yes. So that magpie needs to take uh, to some undisclosed location. Yeah. That's me. Whilst trying to work out where they could be going, yeah. the doctor speaks to Tommy and works out that the TV transmitter, uh, Alexandra Palace, at the time was the biggest one in London. Yeah. That's where they'd be heading. Yeah. So, in keeping with every episode of season two, they then run about for a bit. <laughs> yeah. So There's definitely a bit of running about. So, yeah. the Doctor's sort of building a contraption. Yes. As he's running across London. Yeah. And he has Tommy on hand passing him yeah. things. Like valves and capacitors and whatnot. And it, it just goes on and on for a yeah. little bit. And then, we've got a scene that I'm not sure I enjoyed. Uh-huh. Where they're climbing this transmitter. Yeah, I don't think it's executed brilliantly. I think no. it's fine on paper, but there is no real tension to it. Because, again, going back to the yeah. camera angles, they, they've got this scaffold of the transmitter, yeah. but the camera angle makes it look about eight foot tall. Yeah, You yeah. never see the top or the bottom, yeah. so you can't work out how high up it's, they are. It's really weird, because Euros Lin, on average, is one of my favourite directors of New Who, but he's really off his game in this episode. I don't know what he was, whether it was a conscious choice. I mean, obviously, all the Dutch angles were a conscious choice, but I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why he's chosen to direct this episode the way he has, and I think it does deflate some of the tension in it, hmm. um, which is a shame. Um, but anyway, so, so we're climbing up this transmitter. And we fear that the Doctor's too late, because yeah. the wire does become connected, yeah. begins absorbing faces. Yeah. And at this point, I've just put Magpie is blasted to bits. Yeah. It's almost as if there's too much power surging yeah. through him. His body can't help it. Yeah. And he just, he just yeah. disintegrates. Yeah. Okay. And it turns out that the reason the wire's been able to be successful is there's like a blown bulb 
which Tommy works out. He's in the transmitter room. It's a valve. A valve, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I know this because my my, <laughs> my dad's main passion was uh, building shortwave radios. Oh, uh, really? So I've seen many a valve in <laughs> <Right>. my time. <laughs> so Tommy is able to deduce that. He yeah. replaces the valve. And it absorbs the wire. Yes. Onto a Betamax tape. Yes. And he says he's, he's invented Betamax about 30 years early. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the episode of the Mighty Boosh where they fight the Betamax bandit? I have, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Basically, as soon as I finished watching this, I just YouTubed loads of Mighty Boosh scenes. Yeah. I love the Betamax bandit. He's one of the best. Uh, yeah. I think my absolute favourite of the sort of weird... I know he's not, not a real villain, but I really love uh, Mr. Susan of the Mirror World. Yes. My absolute yeah. favourite incidental Boosh character. There are over 14 mirrors <laughs> in the mirror world. I think mine is either Charlie, the Charlie monster uh-huh. from season one where... The bubblegum guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he has published his series of books by photocopying them <laughs> and putting them in boxes of Weetabix. Yeah. Either that or I think my favourite episode is Milky Joe. Uh, it's a good episode. Yeah, I went and saw the Mighty Boosh live. It was like taking drugs, I imagine. <laughs> like, yeah, they were pre- they were pretty fun live. I didn't like series three though. No. I think they really went off the boil with series three. I think it's it's telling that both out of everything we mentioned, it was all series one or two. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah. Right. So once the wires absorbed, all the faces grow back. Yep. Rose is okay. And then, I, I'm not sure how I feel about the ending of this. Right. Yeah. Because Tommy's mum kicks out Tommy's dad. She does. Yeah. Which yep. is probably a good thing. We yep. know That's Eddie right Connolly isn't the nicest man in the world. No. And and she makes the point that the house is, like, is in her mother's name so he has no like legal recourse there. Yeah. She wants him out. Out he goes. I know he's a horrible, horrible man. But he's yeah. been through some horrible, horrible things. Yes. At any point have they had a conversation about this? Probably not. And I think part of it is that he pro- that you could chalk it up to maybe post-traumatic stress yeah. or something like that. But that wasn't understood at the time. Yeah. And then at a street party yeah. where we see Tommy's dad walking down the street with yeah. his suitcase. Yeah. The doctor implores Tommy to go look after him. And he does carry his dad's suitcase. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know how I feel about the ending. It's difficult, is it? I, I, and it it's like it can't people. make its mind up whether he's a good guy or somebody deserving sympathy. Because we've just had Tommy's mum, you know, saying, yeah. get out the house, yeah. you're a horrible person. And then we have this scene where we, he's not. And, and I think the reason is because it's doing something that television, I don't think, does enough of. Making the the, the argument that maybe... You don't have to be a good person to be worthy of sympathy. Yeah, yeah. And that that, um, and I think they, I forget the exact wording of it, but basically the implication is that I, I think it's either Rose or the Doctor says to Tommy, "You saved the world. Why stop there?" Hmm. So basically, he's saying basically, save your dad. Kind of set. He's had this. This he's been kicked out. This is a chance for him to turn over a new leaf. Hmm be a better person but he's not going to be a better person if nobody extends a hand and you know shows him some sympathy um and at the end of the day 
he is still his son. So I really, really like it as a scene. I think it's a really strong message. It's diff and it's difficult because he we never see him being anything other than horrible yeah. to everyone. You know, if he was horrible and then there was a scene where he was maybe crying yeah. afterwards off any remorse. Yeah. But we, we don't just... get that. And and I think that's a fair point that maybe if we'd seen we can see obviously he's damaged, but we don't necessarily see him vulnerable we don't see him show any remorse himself for yeah. any of his actions. And maybe if there was more of a sense of that inner conflict on screen, we'd feel more comfortable with seeing and him being treated as a as, as a as a sympathetic figure. When he's thrown out the house, there's two ways you can go with that. You can yeah. go with the cowardly side of the character, yeah. where he's distressed and upset, yeah. or you can go with the angry side of the character, where he feels yeah. he's been wrong. But they sort of do neither. He just sort of packs his bags and goes. Yeah. I think he's always just too shocked to even mm. like have any kind of retort to it. So, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think the character is handled as well as he could have been mm. in this episode. But I don't think that detracts from the points the episode is making. I still think it's a, it's a good story with a with a good message mm -hmm. and so it that's why i find it kind of frustrating because a lot of the fandom does write this episode off and and just say oh yeah it's another crap series two episode because you know, i think i've already mentioned series two does have a reputation for being right. one of the weakest but i think i think people should give it another look and give it a more critical eye because i think there is more to it than people give it credit for right. even if it's not always brilliantly executed either in the writing or the direction i think there is more good in it than bad but having said that you're you're entitled to your emotional response or lack thereof yeah and i think i will i will agree that i don't think on my first viewing i loved it particularly i, I enjoyed the period elements of it because i'm i'm always i'm an, that's an easy way to get me on board for a doctor who episode yeah. if it's if it's a historical one especially when it's playing into like the history of TV, which is, you know, one of my absolute obsessions. But it's it's grown in my estimation over the years as I've rewatched it and I like it despite its flaws. Mm. And also, I'm a bit sad that at the end uh, the doctor says he's he's taped over the tape that contained the wire purely because I think there's potential for the wire to come back and be an interesting recurring villain. Yeah. Why can't you do what if that Betamax tape had just gotten lost and then rediscovered in the 80s when the technology was there for it. Do an 80s set yeah. sequel episode. No, definitely. Uh, that would be really cool. Even further, if it, you could use it to explore the internet or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting and fluid concept as a character. I think that there is room for The Wire to return. But, spoiler alert, you'll never see The Wire again. Oh, great. Put that up there with a the reason. Yeah. If we get another technology-based <laughs> villain, you know yeah, I'm going to raise. Like, why isn't it the wire? Yeah. Yeah. But hey ho. So anyway, so yeah, that's uh, that concludes uh, the Idiot's Lantern, a divisive episode. No mention of Torchwood. No mention of Torchwood. Just yeah. going back to last episode where yeah. I, I thought that's where this season was going. No mention of Torchwood. Yeah. No, it's just you could slot this episode in literally anywhere mm. in this series. Well, I guess except for in between the Mickey ones. Yes, yeah. Because there is no Mickey in it. But, um, yeah, other than that, it basically does just kind of stand alone, really. Mm. 
But anyway, well, I guess we'll see where we're going next then yep. with, is it... It's the Impossible The Impossible Planet. Planet and the Satan Pit, another two-parter. Is it? Yeah. Look forward to that. Yeah. So until next time... The Satan Pit. The Satan Pit. Does it's... it have a man in a sleeping bag in it? <laughs> You'll have to watch it to find out. Oh, bring him back. <laughs> I can't. I mean, Bert, my all-time Bar- favourite yeah. Doctor Who villain. I can't bring it back. Barbara murdered him. Yeah. Murdered him in cold blood. Last of his bloodline. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Contact us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who What? You are obsolete, but that is no reason to take revenge on these innocent people. That's not the reason, Cherkov. The reason why I'm angry is that many years ago, someone slept with my wife. It was him, and he shall pay! Spider, is there no one you have not slept with? He's lying. I never slept with his wife, you know? I would remember such a thing. (laughs) Oh, no, yeah, I did. (laughs) I remember now.